Morning, everybody. Um, on the opposite end of the spectrum to Paul, I do not have any slides or graphs or anything. I actually left my slides at home. Um, and so we quickly kind of printed, well, not, we typed out the, the passage for this morning, so you should have that. Oh, we've got an intro slide. There we go. Um, but yeah, this morning we are continuing our journey through Ephesians, as we've mentioned, and we are in the last three chapters, if you've been with us for a little while. Um, and we are looking at now how do we live in the light of this gospel truth that the first three chapters is kind of unpacked. Um, and so we've been looking at how the, that impacts our daily lives and our relationships. And so we saw how it informs our home lives and our marriages. Um, and then last week, Taryn uh, spoke us through uh, parenting and kind of our relationships with our parents and with our children. Um, and today we look at how the gospel impacts our workplace relationships as well as our attitude to work. And this is massive because it is obviously where we spend uh, most of our waking lives. And yet for many of us, it's a real conundrum um, of 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 kind of bringing together what do I believe on a Sunday? How does that impact what I do on a Monday to Friday or Saturday? Um, and I think uh, just as a, as a disclaimer up front, there's obviously a lot we can say about work. There's a whole sort of uh, theology of work, and, and unfortunately we, did, we don't have the time to get into all of that today. So uh, you might leave thinking, oh, he didn't speak about that, or he didn't speak about that. We're going to kind of stick close to the text of what Paul speaks to the Ephesians about work. Um, but there is a lot more that can be said. But I think for many Christ followers, um, what it means to be a Christian at their workplace is kind of the bare minimum, right? We've got this lowest common denominator. And maybe for you that looks like something like don't steal, right? That's just don't do that. Um, try not to lie unless it's really in the company's best interest and you can kind of make an excuse for it. Then try not to do that. Try to be nice to people. Uh, you know, just be a little bit better than the person next to you. Try to be, you know, polite and try to keep it relatively tidy at the Christmas party. You know, you just kind of want to keep your, your sense of dignity going into the new year. And maybe that is kind of what a, being a Christ follower at work means for you. And obviously in, in January, invite them to Alpha. But for the most part, I think for the most part, work is something that is outside of our realms of faith. Um, And so we try and be a little bit better, but how we actually do our work and approach our work and approach our relationships to work aren't even really considered. And so what we're going to see today is that you and I, actually friends, if you are a Christ follower here this morning, we're saved for so much more than that. That is, unfortunately, a tragically low view of why we were put to work. And Jesus has a much bigger vision for our work and uh, the way we relate to uh, each other at our work than just to be kind of one rung up on the morality ladder. That is not what uh, we have been saved and called to. And so I want to first acknowledge that... Uh, work takes on many forms, right? And in South Africa, it's a very complex issue. It doesn't just mean full-time paid employment. Uh, you can be full-time employed. You can be part-time employed. You can kind of be freelancing, working for yourself in between jobs, struggling to find jobs. You could be full-time raising kids at home. That is a, a very real sense of work. You could be fully retired. And I, I realize there may be people here who are in that category. But uh, the point of this passage is that what you do with your Mondays to Saturdays matters. And And it matters to God. And so considering we spend so much of our lives doing this, we need to get a a right perspective on this, right? Because the reality is that our work shapes us and and forms us. And so if we want to be a people who are maturing into Christ, as I think hopefully that is all our our desire and our our goal, we have to have a, a theology that informs what are we doing 90% of the time of our lives on a Monday to Friday and not just on a Saturday. And so 
Um, I also know that preaching on work at the end of November is like trying to tell someone to eat healthily on the 25th of December. Um, and you're kind of thinking, not now, bro, just like leave me alone. I'm just getting through this. But I do pray that you'll approach even these last few weeks of work um, slightly differently as a result of this passage and kind of going into next year that you'll have a, a real sense of this is what I'm uh, born to do or what I'm, I'm called to do at my workplace. And so as kind of where we're heading, we will hopefully see from this text that the gospel of Jesus radically changes and informs our approach to work. It gives us meaning and purpose in the face of maybe boredom and, and um, I was going to say mundanity. That's not a word, but in the face of the boredom and the mundane. It gives us rest in the face of burnout and anxiety and this need to just kind of keep going and keep peddling. And it gives us security in the face of uncertainty of where our true reward comes from. And so um, as we read our passage, you will see the first word is slaves. Um, and so a quick disclaimer on that. Before we go on, um, they are, that, that obviously might bring some angst uh, amongst us, right? As 21st century Christians, we read that and we say, oh, you know, what is this? Is the Bible condoning slavery? Um, but I do want to put you at ease and say that when Paul speaks to slavery in this passage, he's not referring to the same sort of chattel slavery that we are familiar with with the transatlantic slave trade or that happened in Cape Town. Uh, not too long ago. In fact, in the Roman world, up to 90% of the population would have been considered slaves. And it was kind of more of the economic fabric of the society, not to kind of make it better than it was. It was still uh, had uh, terrible aspects to it. But for instance, doctors and and administrators and people would be considered slaves to their masters and who they were working to. Um, And so this is why this passage is also appropriate for us today to read as uh, our workplace relationships and uh, employees and employers. Um, and so what Paul is doing, you might ask, is why doesn't he say, like, rebel against the slavery and free all the slaves? Well, he's speaking into the context of the time to the church, who's obviously a very tiny minority. And so he's kind of saying, listen, this is how you're supposed to act and, and live in, in the culture that you're in. Um, he's not kind of saying, go about, you know, social revolution. And so there are, uh, that being said, there's obviously a lot more we can talk about slavery. Um, on the, the website, there is, on, on the homepage, there's an article that says, Does the Bible condone slavery? which you can click on that and kind of read uh, all the arguments as to why it doesn't. Um, and there's also a very good podcast from John Tyson in New York who kind of also unpacks this reality. Um, you can come ask me for it afterwards, I'll, I'll point you to it. So that's just kind of a disclaimer up front. So let's read uh, Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly master with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleases, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good deeds anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with them. And so before we kind of get into this idea of, of how we relate to one another at work, we need to understand what is work and kind of see it rightly. And so we first need to understand that work is a good thing. Genesis 2 describes how God himself worked. Uh, and I've kind of heard this before, but I actually went back and looked at Genesis 2 and it says, yeah, God, he worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested from his work. And as we are made in his image, we too are designed to work as human beings. This is kind of something that is, is, uh, takes place in the garden before the fall and before sin enters the world. Work is what we are designed to do. Genesis describes how Adam and Eve 
uh, were placed in the garden and, and were uh, to work it and to keep it. And so sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that work is some form of curse, right? It's kind of a, rela- uh, a response to Adam and Eve's sin. And we're like, ah, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell that and what have you done? And that I've got to work 40 hours a week. And it's something that we have to endure. But uh, and, and, and sometimes the goal and kind of this Instagram life we look at can make it seem like, let's see how minimal you can get your work down to. I think of Tim Ferriss's, the four-hour work week. You know, if you can just work for four hours, then you've got all the time in the world to do whatever else you want. Um, but, uh, but that is not what uh, is in line with how God has designed us to be. Even uh, we think of unpaid work that we need to do over and above our, our jobs, work around the house, work within our church community, work within our, our social community. These are good things for us to do, and the Scripture reminds us that we are in fact created to work, and it is a good thing. The problem comes, obviously, when sin enters our hearts and enters the world and corrupts the way we view our work and this kind of social discord at our workplace. But as Christ follows, the gospel, the chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians, it, it reconnects uh, our work to, to God's work. It reconnects uh, our heart for work to God's heart for the world. Uh, and it reconnects it to its original intention. And we'll see exactly how in a moment. But just to kind of a, another thought that maybe you, you can find yourself thinking sometimes, I know I have, is that we tend to, uh, we can believe this, this myth of the sacred work versus the secular work, right? We tend to believe that sacred work is done by the pastors, you know, the Pauls of the church and the Kyles, um, maybe the, the NGO workers, those who are just like living on the front lines, um, you know, doctors without borders. Um, and, and then secular work is kind of done by you and me, you know, we're in manufacturing or advertising or accounting or whatever it is. We're kind of just like doing the daily grind and it pays the bills, um, but maybe there's nothing more to it than that. Um, and that's kind of where our thinking of let's just be a slightly better person comes into our workplace because it's not really holy. But this uh, th- way of thinking actually started in the third century right up until the 16th century where people thought there's holy work that the, the clergy, the, the, Christ- the, the pastors would do, and then there's secular work that the world does, everyone else does, until Martin Luther and the other Protestant reformers came along and they pointed out that there is actually no such thing as the sacred versus secular. In fact, as Christians, all work uh, is is sacred because it is through our work that God cares for the world. Let's see how. So as Christ followers, we agree that it is God who provides for us, right? You, you uh, have a meal, you say grace, you say, God, thank you for this provision. But have you ever stopped to think, how does God provide for the food that's on your table? Well, obviously, he uses the farmer. He uses the guy who picks the grapes. He uses the, the miller. He uses the baker. He uses the shopkeeper. He uses the guy who drives it um, from one place to another. How does God heal us? We believe that God is a God who heals. And, and most of the time, he uses uh, people like doctors and therapists and surgeons and nurses. And so... Uh, as Christ, uh, sorry, as, as God cares for the world through our work. And what this means is that no work is meaningless, right? Because without it, the world wouldn't function. If the garbage collectors uh, kind of just stopped working, as we, we sometimes see that in South Africa, generally people just go on strike for some time, things stop working. And if garbage collectors would do that, we would end up back in the Middle Ages and we'd be dying of diseases just in the streets. And so even sort of in our world, the most mundane or trivial jobs that we might do, uh, it is uh, the gospel reminds us that it, it is God who is caring uh, for his world through our work. 
The gospel redeems us to be able to work as we were originally designed to. But it also reminds us that as we work, God works through us to care for his creation and to bring about human flourishing. So I want to say if you do work uh, here and uh, in, in some form or other, your work matters, no matter how trivial, no matter how repetitive. I think of moms who are just like with their kids all day and you're kind of picking up the same thing and then you're cleaning up the mess and 10 minutes later it's a mess again and you're cleaning it up and you think, man, this is I'm just going around in circles here. I want to say you are bringing human flourishing. Your work matters. Uh, God is caring for that child, so to speak, ex- through your hands. You're bringing order to chaos. And so if we bank that as kind of work is a good thing, we are designed for work. My work is not meaningless. Yes, there might be boring days or mundane days, but actually what I'm doing matters in the grand scheme of things. We need to uh, approach our work correctly, and this is kind of where the passage comes to life. So turning directly to our passage, we see a few things. It says, uh, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleases, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with the good will as to the Lord and not to man. So what Paul does is he reminds us that since we have been raised from uh, being dead in our sins, we are now uh, being uh, made alive to God, and we are now slaves to Christ. We've kind of got this new relationship um, as to uh, how we relate to the world. We have a new identity. We are, we, we're, we are no longer the masters of our own lives. And that's what it means to be a Christ follower, that the Holy Spirit works within you to be able to say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my King. He is the ultimate authority in my life. No longer is it me. And what this does, friends, is it reorientates the focus of our work from ourselves, from man, from maybe our bosses, and it focuses it back towards God. And this means that our daily work becomes an act of worship to Christ, as Craig mentioned up front. Though we have earthly masters, yes, though we have earthly bosses, maybe it's a two-year-old, maybe it's a a CEO, those uh, who are working to answer to, in fact, we are actually working for Christ himself. Verse 7 says, we are to render our service with the goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. And so there is now no divide between the work that takes place here on a Sunday that you kind of see happening right now versus what happens on a Monday to Friday. And so we get to go to work and offer it as a form of worship to God. And this kind of changes surely how we approach our work, right? It's not something that you have to do. Yes, you do have to do it, but it's something that you get to do. You get to do this for God's glory. There's a higher calling to your work. More than your own ambitions, more than your boss's demands, more than the immediate needs of the dependents around you, your work, friends, is for the audience of the one who created you and redeemed you. He is your true master. Christ is your true master. We get to do our daily task with the sense of faith that this seeming, tr- seemingly trivial and maybe mundane task is an act of worship to God. It's a way of bringing about more flourishing in the world. I was writing headlines for Pizza Hut this week uh, at my ad job, and I was just you know writing cheesy headlines. And I was thinking, God, this is... Okay, that wasn't supposed to be a pun. Uh, (laughs) I'm always on the clock. But um, I was writing, I thought, God, you know, use this line for your glory. This is an act of worship. And it's so, like, trivial and mundane, but suddenly it kind of changes the way you relate to your work. What's more, when we do it, knowing that whatever good we do, God will return to us in his perfect way and his timing. Friends, you cannot outwork, you cannot outgive, you cannot outdo 
God, he always rewards you uh, for your faithfulness in his timing. And so you might be feeling like you're overworked and underpaid uh, and your bosses aren't rewarding you or you aren't getting the sense of uh, acknowledgement. Um, we are reminded here that any good that we do, God will reward to us um, as he is faithful to do. The reality for us, uh, for many of us in this room, and myself included, though, is that work often becomes something else, right? We're not just going to work saying, God, just use this for your glory. I'm just going to go about my day um, and be happy and merry as we go. It. Yes, we go and we go to earn a paycheck and a salary. That's kind of the most basic level. But deep down, I think if we're honest, we're going to earn so much more, right? We're going to earn our sense of value in the world. We're going to earn our sense of self-worth and uh, that comes with a, a, success, a level of success that we've set out to achieve. And work becomes the way that we earn our security and our future. Uh, think about this, the, the first question we ask people. What do you do? You know, uh, how, how's the year been? What have you achieved? Where, where are you going? And our sense of work brings so much of our purpose to us. And our culture is one that celebrates the busyness and the hustle, right? We see quotes like, don't stop when you're tired. Stop when you're done. You know, it's just like this keep going, keep hustling. Um, well, my favorite quote was, I saw that this week. I was like, I'm going to use this. Hustle until your haters ask if you're hiring. I was like, that is cool. But this idea of having a side hustle and is always just going on and on and on and on and on. You get home at five and you're just like side hustling. And, uh, and that's celebrated, right? You know, you kind of ask people, hey, so what are you doing, you know, on the other 80 hours of your week, not just the 40 that you work. Uh, and I'm not bashing side hustles. I have at least two going on right now. So this is as much to me as it is to anyone else here. But what can happen is, is we functionally start to believe the gospel of the hustle, the gospel of work, which says you work for your success. If you hustle hard enough, you will become somebody. You'll climb that LinkedIn, you know, profile ranking. Your work becomes a channel through which you achieve and kind of create yourself and your identity. And the fruit of this is obviously self-evident, right? It's endless busyness. It's not enough time for family, for friends, for uh, being involved in a church community. It's anxieties and stresses that come with performance anxiety or, or when things go well, you're on a high. When things are going badly, you're kind of rock bottom. I've been there this year. We just can't stop uh, because so much is at stake. Ourselves are at stake. When work is an idol, ourselves are the thing that is, is at stake. And so we just can't stop. We just keep going. And so the gospel of work is so opposed to the gospel of Jesus, which says you work out of your position in Christ, right? And so that means that what, uh, what that means is your work is now something that you do ultimately for Christ. You're doing it as, as to the Lord, uh, instead of as to man. He is your true master. He, uh, you aren't working to earn your position. You're working as a response to His grace and to His goodness in your life. And so friends, I want to ask you, who are you really working for? Who, who's the, what is the thing that is driving you for your work? Above the bills, above the, the paychecks, what is that thing that is, that is keeping you going and keeping you pushing? Is it your own glory? Is it your sense of accomplishment and success? Is it your bank balance, kind of a, a life that you want to uh, secure for yourself? I want to say, as you go about your work tomorrow, remember that you are not doing it primarily for yourself or for anyone else uh, in the room around you. You are doing it as an act of worship to Christ. No matter how mundane, no matter how trivial, it is an act of worship to God. You are not doing it to achieve anything that he hasn't already blessed you with. We read in uh, in, in Ephesians 1 or 2 how, how God has blessed us in the, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. When, when you go to work, you cannot earn anything that God hasn't already blessed you with in Christ himself.
And so we see work rightly. It is a good thing. It's not something to be despised. We approach work correctly. It is uh, an act of worship to Christ himself. He is our true master. It's not for our own glory. It's for his glory. But then we need to do work differently, right? And so um, on the slides that are on my desktop at home, uh, this would say work as witness, work as our witness. And so if we... uh, if our work is actually an act of worship, then how are we to go about it? Paul writes to both the employed and to the employers within the church, and he gives them some specific instructions. Uh, again, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, people pleases, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And so kind of speaking to employees first, Paul says that, we are to obey our earthly masters with fear and trembling. And it's kind of like a weird words that, that he might use. But this speaks to having an attitude of reverence and respect for those that God has ordained to be authority over us, right? And so, sure, your boss uh, may not be a Christ follower. Um, he may actually not be a great person or uh, someone that you get along with or you disagree with how they, they treat you. But there, there's a sense of understanding that God has ordained that those above you in authority are there for a a time and a place and a purpose and a reason. And so even difficult bosses provide us with the opportunity to let Christ train us and to teach us uh, to be more like him and to serve others even when we aren't being served that well, to lay our lives down for them. Of course, we're never to obey someone into sin or to kind of necessarily put up with um, abuse towards us, but we are called to be diligent workers who are not rebellious, argumentative, or arrogant. We kind of, uh, with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart speaks of 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 being a support being um uh not agreeable but but not being a hindrance or obstreperous to your boss or those around you the other thing paul speaks about uh, is he says going about our work with a sincere heart not by the way of eye services people pleases um, and I think this speaks directly to the quality of our work ethic, right? If we understand that our work is significant because God uses it to bring order and flourishing into the world uh, and to care for the world, and then it's significant because it's an act of worship to Christ himself, then we are to approach our work with sincere hearts, seeking to do the best job possible, right? If if the doctor kind of is like, well, I don't really know what's going on. Try this, try that, you know, like doesn't stitch up the wound properly. You know, you, you the patient, are going to suffer. Um, and so that's an obvious example. But if God is bringing care into the world through our work, then obviously we want to go about it in a sincere manner um, uh, that, that will bring human flourishing. And so I service speaks to kind of just doing the minimum amount of work, right, to get by or ensuring that just when your boss comes around, you're like, oh, Facebook, and you're just like, Duh, just doing up this report. Um, just to kind of be seen to be doing the right thing. We're, or, or otherwise, always ensuring that we look good in front of our superiors. So maybe you've got a, a team beneath you, and you're kind of like a, a taskmaster just kind of pushing them, you know, but then suddenly when, you, when your, your boss comes in, you're kind of the nicest guy, kind of taking all the credit, and kind of your team members are going like, who's this guy that just kind of changed his personality in the last five seconds? If we are going to do our work well as though it was for Christ, wouldn't, it, we, would, wouldn't we want to give it our all all the time? Wouldn't we want to be people who are almost the hardest working people at our companies? And as Christ followers, your attitude and your work ethic either qualifies 
or it disqualifies your witness to your colleagues. Because why would anyone want to hear more about what you believe on a Sunday if you're the person that everyone else is having to carry the load for or hates being on your team because you know, you're a real pain and unpleasant? Look at Daniel, look at Joseph, who we've kind of studied this year, both who were used powerfully by God for influence in, in the kingdom or in the kingdoms that they lived in and godly kingdoms, but there was a level of excellence and diligence to their work and that is why they were recognized and with that excellence came um, uh, the the qualification for them to to share their faith as and when necessary and so I remember speaking to one of my friends a few years ago who was doing his auditing articles at kind of one of the big firms uh, and he was he's a hard worker he was working hard and I asked him how it was going one day and he said yeah you know working hard uh, my job is to to make my bosses um, look good and I kind of thought Wow, that's such a, a strange thing to say. Surely you, you want to push yourself. You're there for yourself. You're there to kind of climb the ladder. And he kind of said, no, like, I'm, I'm the bottom of the ladder. I'm doing my auditing articles. My bosses had, need to report to their bosses. I need to present my work to them so that they can kind of uh, be on a good standing and kind of have the results and, and all the auditing, accounting things that they do. Um, but it, like, he was there to serve the people above him and serve uh, around them rather than there just to kind of push himself forward and kind of make himself look better than all the other 20 interns or trainees. He was there to make the people that he was working for their life easier. And I thought, what an amazing uh, a way to approach your work. You're not there just to, to for eye service for yourself. Uh, eye service when people look at you, you're kind of doing a good job, but you are working sincerely with uh, the, a goodwill heart as to the Lord and not to man. And so, friends, I want to say that there should be something in us uh, if, uh, if we are employees that says, I'm going to be the hardest working person in this company. I'm going to be the, the shining example of what it means to be an employee. Not for my glory, not for my own sort of uh, worth or sense of, of achievement, but because I'm working for my true master. I've got the king of kings as my audience. Why wouldn't I want to uh, be working for him, my Lord and Savior Jesus? And so, lastly, Paul uh, turns his attention from employees or kind of slaves and he turns it to masters and employers and he says masters do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he is both their master and yours in heaven and uh, sorry knowing that he who is their master is also yours in heaven and that there is no partiality with him and so he turns to employers and he says, do the same. Just as employees are to worship Christ with their work, so are you to work for Christ in the way that you handle your team and your, your, your business and your company. I know there are a lot of people in our community who have a level of seniority uh, with either whole businesses or teams and divisions under them. And I want to ask, how does your treatment of them help or hinder your witness to them and those around, around you? Paul reminds masters that they t- that you too have a true master and that in the kingdom of God there is no hierarchy. Your LinkedIn sort of seniority matters for nothing because we are both image bearers and equal before Christ at the cross. Your team member is not a, a tool to be used for you to look good uh, or for you to hit your targets at all costs, but uh, your, your team is there for you to serve, for you to lay your life down uh, for and uh, for their well-being and their flourishing. If you are in a 
position of influence, your ambition should be that your team or division or business is the most desirable place to work, right? Why not? Because you're a leader that serves your team as Christ came to serve you. Because you're a leader that strives for excellence, but not at the cost of fairness and dignity and ethics. Because you are a leader who values individuals and not just their contribution to what they can do for your bottom line or for your image. And so, friends... As we go to work this week and as you rest from your work at the end of this year, which I'm sure most of us are looking forward to, and you kind of get recharged for next year, I encourage you to remind yourself, why do you work? We don't have to work. We get to work. We don't work uh, for ourselves, but because we have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus, made alive to him by his Holy Spirit, and we get to do our work with faith. Suddenly faith gets injected into our everyday work. With faith, uh, we do that uh, with faith, our work... uh, Sorry, we do our work with faith that it matters because God is using it to bring about human flourishing. He's doing it to care for his creation. And let's do what this passage calls us to and offer up our daily work as an act of worship to God. As you're driving, maybe some practical tips of just how do we, how do we get into this mindset. As you're driving to work tomorrow, why don't you say, God, help me to worship you uh, with my work. Help me to honor you as my true master and work for your glory above all else. I know I've got a deadline, I've got a presentation, I've got something that, that I just want to shine and make myself look good amongst all my peers, but help me to, to do the best job I can uh, that, and honor you as my true master and for your glory. And help me to bring a sense of order to a world of chaos and join you in building your kingdom here on earth. If we, that, if we pray that prayer daily, we'll be able to make a radical difference. Even though we're a minority in the city, we'll be able to make a real difference to our workplaces and to our city at large for his glory alone. Amen. Can we pray together? And then I'm going to hand over to Craig, who's going to take us into a time of communion. God, uh, we want to live lives that glorify you all the time, not just here on a Sunday when it's easy, not when we are just serving you in the church building or on a Wednesday in small group. But God, we want our lives to matter for you and to uh, be lives of service and of worship to you. And so, God, I pray for every one of us here that as we go to work tomorrow, your Holy Spirit will be quickening our hearts to remind us why we are doing what we are doing, that you are our true master, that no matter how hard or difficult our colleagues or our bosses may be, that we are working for the audience of one ultimately, that you have saved us, you have redeemed us, you have blessed us. Uh, We cannot earn anything with our work that you haven't already secured for us by your blood, Jesus. And so that then informs how we can do our work with a a good attitude, with a hard work ethic, looking to serve those around us for your name and for your glory. God, I pray that as we go into a time of resting from our work, that you would bring much-needed rest to our souls, that we would be able to go back next year with a sense of uh, vision and purpose for our work, that we are bringing human flourishing around us, that we are there to serve those around us. We are there to worship you uh, with our, our nine to fives. And so, God, won't you make us a people uh, that sees our work differently, that sees our work as a, as a mission field, that sees it as an opportunity uh, to be a witness to those around us and to love you and serve you with our whole lives, we pray. Amen. Amen. Over to Craig. Thanks, Drew. Um, yeah, thanks, Ron. Uh, so... What's the connection between Paul's snippet on dating and Drew's on the workplace? We're not trying to increase dating in the workplace. But 
it's this, it's relationships. And I really think it's a fact that you can see through all of this, and it's not just theory, that as humans we're wired for relationships. And when those relationships don't work, people get hurt, jaded, get hardened. Um, and the Christian faith is all about encouraging people to have a relationship with Christ, right? And uh, there's some things, even having great relationships with each other can't solve. And these are things we're saying are much more fundamental about the condition of a human heart. And only God can solve that. And, um, and really, so in communion, what we're saying we get to do is we get to think about that primary relationship, the relationship with God. And where do we stand in that relationship? And um, I just wanted to read um, Isaiah 53, because we remember uh, when we celebrate communion that we're ce- celebrating what Christ did on the cross at the extent he went through to have a relationship with us. Isaiah 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Um, so just as I read this, just in prayer, there were two words that came from different people. Dan had this word of dependence, where people are depending on their work and placing their hope and identity on delivering at their work. That's where you're getting your main source of, of identity and hope, is actually that you get work right, that you're successful at your workplace. And then Polly had a word from, just from Psalm 139 about that verse says, God hems us in behind and in front. And these were specific words for people who may be here this morning, and people who feel, for Polly, it was a person who's feeling isolated, completely isolated, and you don't know what to do that. You're out of relationship. And so as we go into, into communion, there's just two things I'm going to ask us through. The first is to reflect. Um, if works become a very self-centric thing for you, just take a moment and say, God, won't you help me remember that you didn't create work just for me. You created it so that we could share with the world around us what God is doing and who God is. Okay, that's the first thing. We just reflect. The second thing is we can be grateful. We live in a country with rampant unemployment and a lot you can complain about when it comes to work. And yet, sometimes God just calls us to be grateful, to be thankful uh, that He is in control. Uh, so even if you're unemployed, you can be in that place. But if you've got a job, just be grateful, man. Just we're in a country where we get to celebrate just, just being in the workforce, being able to contribute in some ways. It's easy to whine in that. So why don't we do that? And this is a moment... Uh, to collect the wine and that if, if you're not a Christian and maybe just um, this, uh, don't collect this because it's more of an act as a Christ follower uh, when we celebrate communion but we're going to just grab the emblems and then we're going to take communion together this morning So, but before we do just take one little moment and just think about that reflect and then we're going to take communion together
remember to hang on to those things. We're going to take them together this morning. Father, we thank you that um, what this little piece of uh, cracker represents is your body that was broken for us, uh, the great cross you went through, that you hung on a cross to take all of our sin on your shoulders, uh, that our sin can be wiped clean. And so, Father, as we take this, we remember the great price you've paid for us. We reflect on that, and we just thank you, Father God. Let's take the cracker together Father, we we look take this little cup. This represents your blood that was shed, and this is a redeeming blood that that wipes clean the slate. And uh, we we want to be reminded of that. That God, uh, when we come to you and ask for your forgiveness, God, that you wipe clean the slate. And so we just thank you, God. Again, we come with gratitude and hearts, but we remember. Uh, that your redeeming blood is able to just wash us clean. And so we stand in that this morning. Thank you, Father. Let's drink together. Great. What we're going to do is I'm just going to lead us in a prayer and then we're going to close. But just if you do need prayer, I just think of those two things, particularly the people who maybe are overly dependent on their work, that Dan had spoken about, or uh, just what Polly had said. If you're feeling completely isolated and you'd like someone just to pray with you, um, we're going to ask you to just to meet by the sound desk afterwards because the whole, there's going to be a whole bunch of kids coming out here. So if that's you and you'd like prayer after service, just we'll wait around the sound desk and come and chat to us. We'd love to pray with you. But um, why don't you stand up and I'm just going to pray for us this morning. Yeah, Father God, we want to thank you um, just that you created work and that through our work we can worship you, Father. And um, so as we go into our weeks, God, I want to pray that you would, um, by your Spirit, be with us. Help us to see our work differently where we need it. Help us to um, just to find a different source, source of identity as well in how we work. And just to close off, Psalm 90 says, um, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So we commit our weeks to you, Father God, and we pray that you will just go out in your protection and in your name, in your mighty name. Everyone said, Amen. Great.